Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I am here. I'm here for you during the most bizarre and crazy time that most of us have ever lived through and maybe ever will. You know, we're all kind of managing the moment and reconfiguring our daily schedules. <laughs> Some of us with uh, school-aged children at home or toddlers who are normally in daycare um, or teenagers who are melting down because they're very social creatures. Um, and many of us who are completely alone and feeling very, very alone. You know, I think about this time and sometimes I wonder, what's it going to be like in 10 or 20 years? Are we going to look back and be like, remember that time we were all stuck at home? That wasn't so bad. <laughs> at least that's what I, what I hope we'll be thinking. You know, the truth is, though, that times like this bring up anxiety in all of us and affect many, many parts of our lives. Today, I am so grateful to have a guest who can address a, an area of our daily life that is oh so important and when we don't get it, can affect us in a very negative way. I'm talking about sleep. Today's guest, Damiana Korka is a doctor of acupuncture. She's a functional medicine practitioner. But more than that, she is a sleep specialist. Yes, the title in quotes, I help people sleep easily, is something that she realized when she was on this path in life, which you're going to hear all about. It's really interesting, actually, because we all come to find the things that we are called to do in really sometimes very random ways. <laughs> and she's no, um, you know, she's no exception there. But she was told she helps people sleep easily. And she started thinking, my gosh, maybe that's what I should be doing. Well, I'm so glad she is. Today, you're going to learn more about her um, and really understand the person behind the philosophy and behind the practice. But you're also going to get some tips and tricks to help you get a better night's sleep. Um, actually, she is giving everybody who listens a free ebook. All you need to do is go over to her website, which is damianacorka.com backslash the hour before sleep. I will have that link in the show notes. And I'll just say it again. It's Damiana, D-A-M-I-A-N-A, Corka, C-O-R-C-A dot com backslash the hour before sleep. And that is exactly what it talks about. What we can do in that very important window that many of us ignore. Um, we just go, 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 or we zone out and and kind of blindly... <laughs> blindly, blankly stare at our phones and take in or don't take in information which may keep us up. So she's going to help us help us sort of wind down when we need to be. All right, so you guys are really excited to have her on. 
before we start, I want to let you know that the Debooms are doing okay. We are. I am seeking positivity and opportunity during this crazy time. Tim DeBoom, two-time Ironman world champion, Hall of Famer legend, has been training his whole life to become a homeschooling dad of our eight-year-old daughter, Wilder, and he's rocking it. Um, I don't know how long it will last. I don't know if we're in a honeymoon or we're coming out of it already, but he is doing a fabulous job, and I'm like so proud of him. Maybe he needs to get into teaching after this. Not just our daughter. We will see. Um, And I know many of you can relate. We're all taking on extra roles right now in our lives, but we're doing okay. We're safe. We are hunkered down in Boulder, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with all these scraps of fabric because it sounds like we need to be making masks with them. Even though they're not heavy-duty cotton, at least they're something. So keep your eyes out for that. I might be posting about it soon. Um, And skirt sports, we're hanging in there. We are not doing great. I mean... Most of you, I obviously would agree that beautiful, (laughs) feel-good activewear is an essential item that you must have in your life during times of a global epidemic. But the truth is, you know, what do I expect? I expect um, people to take care of themselves and their families first. And we are going to weather the storm. We will. But hey, that's why I keep this podcast going right now because, yeah, I think it brings you inspiration and motivation, but it also brings me the same thing. And I need it as much as you do right now. If you do have 20 bucks to spare, head over to Skirt Sports if this is before um, or by April 5th. So we're cutting it tight here, but people who listen to this right when it launched, you still have time. We have a flash sale going where almost everything on our website is 20 bucks or less. I am not kidding. Um, We've got to continue to move out inventory and you can get some screaming deals, all the brand new current stuff that's not on super sale, but anything from fall of 2019 and earlier, holy cow, lots of sizes left too. So if you have questions, just reach out to me. All right, everybody, that's it. Let's bring Damiana on the show. Damiana, it is so good to see your face because right now I can't see anybody's faces out there except on a screen. And uh, I'm so glad that we have this, I don't know, this amazing technology that allows us to do this when we are stuck at home and locked away and all the other things that have been thrust upon us in the last few weeks. So just seeing your face today is just brightening mine. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I feel the same way. I haven't seen many people's faces in the last couple of weeks, really, um, due to this virus going around and trying to contain it and such. So thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh. Well, and the other thing um, that's really kind of fun is that I never do video for my podcast. So you're my first willing victim. (laughs) And you chose like the perfect backdrop for a sleep specialist, right? You've got like the cozy fireplace in the background and this like photo that just wants to put me in a little trance and I see the pillows. Oh my gosh. We need to stay awake though for at least the next hour so that we can help people with something that everybody can use some improvement on, especially when we're going through tough things in the world. For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, so let's talk about what's going on in the world right now. Let's just go ahead and lead with that because we may as well, you know, podcasts live forever, but, um, I think we will all remember this time in our life, looking back, the coronavirus epidemic that started sweeping through our country about a month ago and has had very fast and dramatic effects on people's personal lives and business lives. Um, maybe you can talk about how it's impacted you as a business owner in the health and wellness industry. Yes, well, I think all of us are affected right now, one way or another, but as a healthcare provider, we, I, we, we had to close a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think I, a couple of my patients came in contact with other people that were infected, and that was a wake-up call for me because even before the governor told us we need to close um, unless it's a completely essential kind of healthcare um, service. So you just, um, you just have to do your best not to um, you never know who's, who's going to affect, so I don't want to be part of that, you know, pass this for me to someone else, and then um, somebody else that might be, you know, compromised or older might be affected. So I just thought, even though it's hard, it's the responsible thing to do, and so that's what I did. So the first few days, it's panic mode. What's happening? What's going on? I've never had this. How long is going to last? That's the worst, right? We go through a crisis, and we usually sort of see some kind of end in sight or we try to make up one or we try to find a solution. But in this case, there is no such a thing, really. We feel a little bit out of control. So after panicking for a few days and, and trying to help my patients however I could, and then I do some online coaching as such, so that was helpful. But really, right now, the bulk of my practice is here locally in Boulder, Colorado. Um, so yeah, so after that, I just had to sit down and figure out what, what is happening. What, you know, they, how can I find something good out of this? What would that look like over the next few weeks? You know, it is, it's tough because we like finish lines, you know? Yes. Hey, we can get through this as long as we know that we're going to cross a finish line at some day and get a medal around our necks. Like, you survived, but... We're in a state of uncertainty. Things are changing every day. News is scary. It's creating fear and anxiety in people. And we're all being thrust into new roles in our lives too. So, you know, in my world, that means trying to figure out how to work from home, which I actually love. That's no problem. But now all of a sudden, my husband, who used to love his alone time during the day, he now has two other human beings in his path, and um, one of them has actually become his student because anybody with a child is now being forced to also figure out how to homeschool them to continue their education. And so this is our reality right now. And we're all, like one of the things that it's true but not true, so it kind of drives me crazy, is that we want to feel like we're all in this together. Like we've got this, I've got your back. You got my back. We're all doing this together. But the truth is we can't go close to other people. So we can't actually help them in certain cases. So for instance, if I needed to go, Tim and I needed to go do something, nobody can watch our child for us while we go do that without possibly yeah. putting her at risk. 
So you can't actually physically help other people at this time. So we have to find ways to help people emotionally. And I think that's really relevant for you today because yes, you help people physically, but you also help them emotionally in the line of work that you're in. Right. That is so very true. And it's so odd because in a way we feel more separated from other people and, and in other ways, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I felt so much closer to everyone, even though I can't touch them or get close to them. I've talked to more friends than I've talked in a long time. I've talked to more family over in Europe. I have family in Romania, in Germany, in Italy, in I have friends all over Europe. So connecting with them was so good. Um, and just, just also realizing how much we depend on each other. And, and even though there are things in the world that are not so good, there's so many people that would do anything to help us. Um, even if they don't, we don't know each other and we're still going to help each other in such a moment of these. So, Well, I think that's a perfect lead up to today's episode because you are a helper, a healer, you're a puzzle solver. You know, you help people figure out their problems and come through the other side. So it's going to be a great, we are going to really like dig in today on this, on the um, topic of sleep, but it's not as easy as sleep, like one, two, three. It, there are all kinds of other things that come into the picture when we're trying to help people, I don't know, create a better baseline for themselves, right? Yes. So I guess, you know, when, when, I, when I meet people like you who are in really interesting lines of work, like I don't know anybody else who is a sleep specialist, right? And you're actually a doctor of acupuncture and a functional medicine practitioner, right? Yes. With a, a sleep specialty. So I always think, why? Like, how did this woman come and be called to this line of work? Why is this your life passion? So I think we should dig back into the beginning here and talk about your background and how you got here to become this, this woman who helps people with one of these basic core essential things we need in our lives. So bring it on. Tell me, tell us where you grew up. Yes, yes. I grew up in Romania, actually, and... Um you're just um, wondering how I got into this field. And it's interesting because, you know, sometimes we have this idea of like, this is what I want to do with my life. And I know where I'm going and I'm going for it. It might take years. Um, and it wasn't like that for me. It was just like one thing after the other. But I do remember when I was 14 or 15 years old, and I don't know why that thought stuck with me, but I was at home and I think, I was really sad in a bad place and probably even dissociating a little bit. But I remember thinking, they all think I'm this person and I'm not good or I'm not smart or that's what I thought they thought. And, and some of them might have, you know, even family and such, or I might not have made the best choices. But I remember thinking that I know I'm going to do something special. And again, that may have been an insight that I had in my heart back then that just it was God saying like hang in there it's hard right now but it's going to be all right you're going to be seen eventually and you're going to be you and and be happy you know uh, or it could have been that I was so in such a bad place that I was like you know splitting up a little bit telling myself oh you're going to be someone special one, one day or do something different and and what I do indeed is a little bit different um, because uh, with my specialty in acupuncture 
like directly focusing on sleep issues, that is pretty unique, I would say. There are acupuncturists who maybe have um, partially a specialty or even maybe a, more of a sp uh, full specialty. I don't know that many uh, to know that, but I know it's unique enough what I do. So for if sure. you go back, you know, at 14 or 15 years old, I don't have very many specific memories like that. So you were, you were the last of eight children, right? Correct, yes. And so what was going on in your teenage years that had taken you to a place of despondency? I don't know when it started exactly, but I think in the teenage years as a, as a young girl, there are a lot of hormonal changes. So I assume likely that played a role, even though back then I had no idea or anything about that. But I remember my body changing, my, my thoughts. I'm really, I remember a lot more after 14 years old than I remember before that. So something must have changed in my body. I don't think any circumstances in my life necessarily changed, but I remember being more aware of my, myself, looking myself in the mirror and thinking like, who is this person? I, I don't remember ever even looking in the mirror, you know? Um, and then making some choices that were not some great choices um, back then. And then that led to a lot of pain. Nothing that a teenager wouldn't do, but it definitely lead, led to a lot of pain for myself and felt very alone in that process. So are you willing to share what some of those choices were? It's not, it's, it's again, maybe it, it's like a, things that a teenager would do, um, you know, related to sex and this, but not, not accepted in our society, you know. I mean, I come from a large family, fairly religious. I mean, my sister is a nun and my mom is a nun right now. Um, Wait, and your so mom became a nun? Well, yes, yeah. so my sister became a nun right around that age when I was a teenager, and she was the next sister after me, so she was six years older than I was, and then from there on, they're closer in age, but there was a gap between I was the last child. So she's been a nun for 20 years now, over 20 years, and my mom um, stayed with her over the last few years, and then stayed with her longer for weeks and months and then it became years and then it was just this natural progression and then about a year ago she became a nun oh my gosh you know yeah. i'm really intrigued by this idea of having many different careers throughout your life yeah i would never um that's not a normal one that i expect people to adopt later in <laughs> life that's so crazy so in other words like you were making kind of the normal teenager decisions that maybe were reckless or exactly, you know, had to do with uh, acting out a little bit in different Definitely. ways. Yeah. And that's normal too, but I get it. It can put you in that place of, of lower self-esteem, questioning who you are, all the stuff that teenagers go through. And right. something you just said is um, I will be seen someday. Mm -hmm. Like, that that's a powerful statement. So at that age you were sort of feeling overlooked maybe? Yeah, I didn't I didn't I felt my mom's love and my sisters and my brothers there is no doubt that they loved me and my dad died around that age. I was 17 and such. So he had Alzheimer's disease so um you know, I, I mean, I knew him, but I didn't because I think when I was 13, 14, he started getting sick. So then he just kind of lost track of who I was, who everyone was, and, and progressively got worse pretty fast. But, but again, I felt my mom's love and my siblings. It's just that I didn't think anybody really knew who I was or saw me or understood me.
And that's the story of many teenagers, you know, it, it is what it is. Well, the trick is to break that as we get older and to come into ourselves and, and gain the strength that we need, you know, to move forward. So, you know, during this sort of formative time, then you're also trying to choose a career path, right? So a few years later, what kind of career did you decide to pursue? Well, actually, I think deep down, I knew right from the beginning that I wanted to be a teacher. And, and now I recognize that I am a teacher at heart. And that's what more than anything, even more than seeing patients, I'll be a teacher for the rest of my life. So, so I chose that right at the beginning. I thought I'm going to college to, to be a teacher in about a year. And I thought it was, it, I remember having that thought where I could see how I will become a teacher, but that's not the kind of teacher that I wanted to be. And I had no idea, but I just, I remember one day thinking if I keep going, I will become that and that's not going to be good. So I broke that and I just, I quit and I decided, okay, I don't know what to do next. So I applied to go to law school and I got upset. <laughs> I know oh, it's like, oh, you don't know what to do. So you decide to go to law school because you either become a, law, a lawyer or a doctor. That's, that's the two respectable professions in Romania, well, probably anywhere. I think anywhere you're right. And it's, what's really interesting too is like, this idea or this wake up call that if I keep going down this path, I will actually become the thing that I said I wanted to become. And now I don't want to become it anymore. And right. I think that stops a lot of people because first of all, it stops people from starting anything because they are afraid of what might happen if they actually get there. But then when they're on the path, they're afraid they can't change their mind. So I'm going to say right now that you had a lot of strength to make that early choice, which I don't know, how was that um, received by your family? Maybe it was actually well received because then you applied to law school. I don't remember exactly, but I remember one of the reasons why I went to law school thinking like, oh my gosh, I got to do something. Uh, well, I, also, I always knew I had to go to school. I had to do something along those lines. It's, it's not like I thought I could do something in this lifetime and it might not. Like I always knew I have to finish something, but I went to law school. So I don't remember that exactly what my family thought, but hey, it was closer to home. I was closer to them and, and it was law school. So yeah, you're right. It probably partially approved. <laughs> okay. So you're not a lawyer. So what happened there? <laughs> Well, the same thing happened two years in. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. I'm not great at it, which I'm not enjoying it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not great at it, but it's happening. So I got to do something. So there was this um, just kind of a, a, like a piece of paper outside of my college for a, a flyer. I couldn't find the words right now, but it was a flyer outside of the college and it said that you could come to America for a year to be an au pair. So I applied and then nothing happened. So I waited, I waited, I waited, I waited it. And then I just basically gave up and I was like, okay, I better go on with my life and keep studying. And then I got the, I changed my phone number actually along that way. I didn't even think about it. I changed my phone number and then I got an email from this host family that was trying to get a hold of me and wouldn't give up. I mean, you'd think they would try to call and if it didn't go through, they would just give up. No, they didn't. They emailed me. Um, so then they emailed me and I talked to them and then I said, okay, I guess I'm coming for a year. And then I was going to go back. I seriously thought I just need this break. I need something different. And then again, my family was like, well, this is, I mean, this is kind of exciting. So they kind of approved of that, you know, going to America, it's still a big deal. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, and you're still here. Exactly. So, <laughs> so it I obviously yeah, I, I yeah, exactly. Then I I could prolong it to two years, and then I met my ex-husband, and we got together and we thought, okay, if we want to have this relationship, we we have to figure out a, a way to really to stay together. He didn't have a green card. He was Romanian, but was living here. He was trying to to go through that process himself. So I said, well, I I need to go back and finish my degree, but I guess I could stay if I started something else here. And he actually wanted to go to acupuncture school previously. And he said, well, let's do this. And I thought, I've never heard of acupuncture, (laughs) but I I love herbs and I'm interested in health. So this sounds good. So let's give it a try. So yeah, I, I applied and I got approved and um, then we got married and we went to school together actually in Florida for acupuncture. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. That's huge. So at that time, were you like, okay, I'm just trying something new, but I'm still going to go back to law school? Once I got into acupuncture school, I realized, whoa, I love this so much. This is so strange, <laughs> so different, so amazing. I have really found what I love. And then, and then I did really well, really well, you know, I mean, I, you know, I graduate, I top of the class and, and, and such, because I really, really loved it, even though it was hard at the beginning. I still, you know, one of those memories that again, you get stuck with, I was in the backyard with the anatomy and physiology book. And I was crying in the backyard because I thought, what were those People thinking they got me approved they think I can do this and I have no idea what like I don't understand so many of the words but you know how it is like the introduction sometimes is so wordy and heavy but once I got to studying you just you just learn as you go you know so that was really hard I remember that thinking what is happening to me it's like something has descended over me how like I got to America I'm going to acupuncture school I got approved by the immigration. It's just, it's just like things are coming to me. I have no control almost in a good way, but also overwhelming. So when you ask me how I got into this, people have a lot of beautiful stories, how acupuncture saved their lives. I had acupuncture after I got into acupuncture school for the first time. So it just, is I think it was one of those things that was meant to be really. Yeah, for sure. So was your marriage, like you got married and you went to acupuncture school together. He's your ex. So obviously it didn't last. <laughs> how, how did your relationship fare through all of this? It was, it was not a good relationship. And I, you know, now looking back, I sort of knew it from the beginning, but I remember when he asked, he asked me to marry him. I thought I, he's a, decent man he's a good man and I the thought that came to me I said this is probably the best I can do and that's a sad thought to to enter a marriage but that that's what I thought and for me I entered that marriage knowing that that would be it like I will do anything because once you commit to that in my mind coming from the culture that I came seeing my mom being with my dad um through so many things I thought this is it so I truly committed to that marriage but then it was extremely hard so a few a few months after um, I came out of this marriage I decided to go to therapy and that's when I realized that even though I like to think that I'm a victim in all of this really I played an equal part in it and so 
who I was as a teenager, who I've learned to be as a young adult, it led to that marriage. And so what really helped me afterwards is just to take full responsibility for what it was, even though it wasn't a good marriage. And I could have said, well, it was the fact that he drank a lot or it was the fact I could find so many different reasons. So it was those places are really hard, hard place to be and hard to leave, but you've you've just got to, you've got to keep going. And okay, then, so I don't, I don't, I need to understand better. Like, how was, what was your equal part? I don't get it. I mean, I understand the concept, right? right. I do, but it doesn't seem right. <laughs> right. That you have to take on that responsibility as well. And I know everyone listening probably feels the same way. They're rolling their eyes like, don't you know that we all have equal responsibility? I get it. But I still like it doesn't seem right. Right. Or, right. You were not the abusive party, you know? So how- I, mean, I sort of became, you know, then you start yelling yourself and you, yeah, but I, I'm not saying that I was maybe as abusive in that, in an equal manner. I'm just saying that I saw the signs. Like if you have your eyes open, you, I saw the sign the moment I talked to him for the first time. I saw the sign the moment we first met face to face. I saw the signs the moment he asked me to marry him. And I said yes, each and every time. I did not say no. Yeah, you could say I was in survival mode. And he accused me of that later. He said, you know, I, you, you used me. And, and yes, I did in a sense, you know, because I was trying to survive. And so the thing is, I had to make peace with that, that I made those choices and forgive myself too, you know, because yes, I was surviving. That was survival mode. Um, so in that aspect, aspect, I played a equal role, but also that doesn't mean I'll keep trying to make it work or I keep trying to change him. You just, you just leave because you know, that's the best thing to do. So at the end of the day, like a huge message here is that don't discount that feeling in your gut. Don't discount that voice that's telling you something's not right. Or don't go forward when you know it's not right because you think you should. Right. 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 So yeah. you make your best choices in each and every moment. Um, but hopefully for, for my future and for anyone that hears this, you know, you, when you're in those places, when you're so afraid and you said, this is, I have to do this because I have no choice to remember that that's not true. It's very likely at every moment, if I said no to that, something else would have come up to help me. And I could have stayed much longer in that marriage. You know, um, it was right after the recession. It was in 2000 or a couple of years after the recession, but I could hear his voice over and over again. You're not going to make it. The world is in recession. You're going to, you're going to end up under a bridge. Um, I still hear that voice sometimes, you know, and, and I could have, I could have not left because I was so afraid. Um, I was so out of touch with the world that I thought the whole world made $4 an hour. That's what I knew in 2011. Like I did, I was so out of touch and kind of, uh, you know, kept in a very abusive situation that I, I didn't know like, Hey, and it's like, I could look it up, right? Like, just look it up. How much is the minimum wage? Well, it's kind of like $8 or $7. So it's not a lot, but it's not for, like he said, you know, trying to keep me there and, and keep me in that fear place. Yes. We have to break out of our fear places. Okay. So here you are now getting this like 
this new passion has overtaken you with acupuncture. You gained the strength to leave a marriage that was unhealthy. Um, and so did you feel like you were just blossoming at that time? I did. Yeah. It, I was so happy and I'm still so happy, but, um, you know, reality check after a few months and, and realizing, okay, I have to deal with all these things and a lot of grief and such, but yes, I've blossomed and I've changed so much. I'm so much confident. I feel like no matter what happens, I have, I, I know something inside of me. I can make it through anything. So that's the most yes. important thing. Yes, definitely. Okay. So then how did sleep start to become the new passion layered on top of this passion? Yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier how my dad had Alzheimer's disease. So while I was in acupuncture school, I wanted to specialize in something. I really knew that in my heart for myself, if I want to be good at something, I need to focus on something because otherwise I get so distracted. It's a never ending process. So um, after I graduated from school and I started practicing in Tennessee for a, a little bit, I studied more of that and, and told people this is what I like to treat. I didn't specialize, but this is what I like to treat. So of course, patients came and then I moved here and I, I did the same. But soon after I moved here, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. I just, I just knew it. So then I started looking for something else. And I was talking to someone about this and I, I laughed and I said, well, I make people sleep easily. I can't, I can't do that. And he said, well, why not? There's so many people that don't sleep well and it's so needed. And I said, well, in our profession as acupuncturists, we typically don't focus on such a narrow kind of a specialty, but I still treat the whole person. It doesn't matter that it sleeps. So then it wouldn't leave my mind. So it just grew from there on until, you know, maybe five, six years ago. It's a, you know, everyone that comes in my practice, <clears throat> excuse me has um, a sleep problem. Okay, so when you say you help people sleep easily, it was just you would perform acupuncture and do some you know, healing with them, and they would come back and be like, I had the best night's sleep ever. Like, is that kind of how it just started happening and you would just keep hearing the same thing? Yeah, and I think until, until I had that discussion that night, I really didn't think about that. But then I realized how many, you know, more than half of my patients have sleep issues and, and they kept coming back like, oh, I slept so great. So I guess that, that moment when I had that conversation, I realized, oh, they didn't even come for that. Maybe that was not their main complaint necessarily. You know, maybe I have menstrual issues or pain, and, and, but, but I knew we know that we, we have to treat the sleep in order to recover and feel better and heal. Sleeping is very important. So, Yes. Okay. So did you have any personal issues with sleep going into this? I did not. But over the years, um, and last year specifically, I did have a little bit of a bout of insomnia. And, oh, man, I mean, I, it was so little. I can't even call it insomnia. I would be... It would be, I can't call it if I compare it to, to what I see in my clinic, but it was, I, it was such a good thing for me to experience because, I mean, one of the mornings I woke up crying because I was so tired and my head was hurting so badly. And I feel like I, I love what I do so much that it's okay. I didn't experience that because I, re, I feel like I can hear, really hear people and hear their pain. But what I experienced last year, even though it was short-lived, 
it was like I couldn't decide. I'm like, I can't wait to feel better, but thank you, God, for this experience to, to just really feel it a little more. Just, yes. just really feel it. Yeah, because now you've got compassion. Yeah, yes. extra compassion for sure. Which is so important. Um, you know, maybe we should get into the whole, like, I don't know, tips, tricks, and best practices for people to have really good sleep. Because let's face it, right now, today, we are stuck at home. We are basically going through this little burn and churn. We're in our bedroom to sleep. We're out. We're doing our stuff. We're back in the bedroom. Like, it's right there all the time. So, um, yeah, let's hit it. So let's talk about sleep deprivation. Maybe we could start there. Because yeah, that's actually, yeah. that's a topic that I have some experience around having had a child who is not a great sleeper. Yeah. She finally is a better sleeper, although last night she was not. So <laughs> there you go. And she's eight. But here's what I remember. I remember being... Be, you know, I've always been someone who's kind of that average, like I kind of generally would get eight hours if left to my own devices and just sort of fall asleep and wake up. That would be me, right? Seven to nine hours. Um, so I knew when I got pregnant that new moms often get less sleep because we're woken up a lot to breastfeed babies and care for crying babies. But, and so I was a little nervous about it, but I didn't know how it would go. Well, the truth is it did not go well. And I, my baby uh, just did not sleep a ton. And she was really small, like six pounds. And maybe that's part of it. She was hungry and couldn't get that much, you know, nutrition into her little tiny tummy at one time. So she just needed it more frequently. That's my theory. But, um, but here's what I felt. I felt like I would get three-hour naps all day and night. That's what I got. I get a three-hour nap, and then I'd be up for an hour. And then i get another three-hour nap, and I'd be up for an hour. And maybe less than three hours, you know. And then I'd be expected to be up all day long and then try to get stuff done. And what I remember is waking up feeling nauseous. I always, it'd be like, oh, I'm going to finally lay down. And I mean, in some instances, you'd lay down, you'd look at your clock, it's like 10, 15. And you fall asleep, you enter a dream state, and all of a sudden you're woken up startled at 1021. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm going to throw up, I'm nauseous. And then you have to, you're disrupting your sleep pattern so much. And I did realize finally one day when I got five straight hours of sleep and I felt like I could do anything. I was like, I am superwoman. I can do it all now because I just feel so amazing that getting that powerful, straight quality sleep is important. And that wasn't even quality sleep. It was just an eye opener to me. So sleep deprivation is a real thing. We all get it at different times in our lives for different reasons, but it has major physical effects. I mean, it, it's debilitating. So I don't know, maybe you can talk a little bit about sleep deprivation and then, you know, why we need a certain amount of sleep and what's recommended. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the five hours because research shows that five hours is like the absolute minimum that we need in order to feel functional. You won't feel well with five hours, but you felt so well because compared to three hours, this was so much more. But five hours is what will, if the body has five hours, it will, it will 
it will manage from there on the rest of the two and a half hours or longer it's like then you can thrive and such so yeah you can survive for five hours for a while and such but it, it's it's not obviously it's not good enough and it, it is particularly hard for moms because we don't know what's going to happen um, we don't know it's like every night it's a bit different and what's unfortunate here in our culture is that we don't have enough support um, I feel like, you know, even 50 years ago or, or longer in, in other countries too, we have more support from grandparents and siblings and, and such that can help us through this the first few months. So the trouble is if we just had a little more support in the first few months um, after the baby is born, uh, if we can rest a little more, then we do better afterwards. But what happens, we're so sleep deprived and so tired for the first four or five months that then the stress system kicks in. Like you said, it wasn't the baby that woke you up at 10, 20. Was your body, as soon as you like almost went into deep sleep, it said, oh, get up, it's a problem. There is a danger, we, you gotta get up. It, it cannot, it, it's like it, at that moment, it reacts to everything, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, many of the moms come to me, they say my baby sleeps just fine right now and I still can't, uh, and that's what happens. Um, so it's definitely step-by-step step asking support from someone like me, from the father, from uh, some moms, what they do if possible, again, it's hard with the breastfeed, breastfeeding and such, is to change some nights, just not be with the baby if, 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 if there is any way possible. Um, I mean, what do you think about this idea of catching up on sleep? So let's say you have a really bad night for whatever reason, or you got to get up early for a flight or something. Is there such a thing as catching up? Do, are you supposed to try to get 10 hours the next night to make up for the few hours you missed? So it's, it's a tricky question. It really depends on many different aspects. Um, if you want to catch up on, on sleep, there are a couple of different ways you can do that. First, it's ideal to keep the same, um, same wake-up time. So if you want to catch up on, on sleep, don't say, I'm going to sleep in in the morning but go to sleep earlier. Like if you want to sleep for nine hours, go ahead and start winding in, in your wake up time at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. Go ahead and prepare the previous night for it and wind down for much, much a little, a little earlier and longer so you can really prepare your body for that and talk to your family, whoever you need to talk and go to sleep earlier. We want to keep that morning wake up consistent because otherwise the body gets really confused. That's, we, we rely on that consistency in the morning. If you're really tired and you can fall asleep earlier, then that's fine because that, your body can rely on the wake-up time. It's 6 a.m. So then it says, okay, it, it, amazingly enough, it knows what time it is. I don't know if you've ever woken up when you thought, it's like I got to wake up in 20 minutes or I got to wake up at this time. You forgot to put the alarm clock and you still wake up. The body has like a clock a cell in each cell of our bodies. So that's one thing you can do it. Um, keeping the same in the morning and then going to sleep earlier. And don't force it. Don't go to bed at 7 p.m. and saying, I got to go to sleep. If you're not sleepy, it's not going to happen. It's not going to help you. And I know some people can sleep in a lot in the morning, but that's a tricky thing because what the next few not mornings, you have to wake up at 6, and now it, it, it creates a kind of not a healthy pattern. The other The other way to do this is naps. And I know that's a very controversial subject for many different people. And I mean, I've, I've 
written a lot about it in my blog and and then also i'm writing a book right now so it has like a whole almost a, a whole chapter because it's it's tricky so i'd like to offer scenarios to people but in general if you do nap you you do want to keep it at like 20 minutes to 30 minutes and you want to keep it somewhere between I say between 1 and 3 p.m., but really it's like six to eight hours before your bedtime because we have these natural kind of waves and cycles. And so you want that nap to be early enough so after you wake up, you have a bouncing energy and then enough time for it to drop. Because I don't know if you've napped at 5, 6, 7 p.m. because you're just completely exhausted and then it was midnight and you're wide awake and then you still had to wake up at 6 a.m. because of your work and such. You just solved why my kid had a bad night's sleep yesterday. Ah. I let her take a nap at four o'clock. Uh-huh. It was bed at eight usually. Uh-huh. And she never naps. And I was like, oh, you got this new comfy bed. Why don't you just snuggle into it? You said you're tired. Yeah, she couldn't fall asleep last night. So there it is. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to keep that in mind. But I love naps. I mean, when I was a pro athlete, I napped almost every day. And I was told actually that um, falling asleep, the act of falling asleep triggers human growth hormone. Is that true? Like that that's a very positive thing for athletes. So do you know anything about that? Not particularly about that, but I believe to be true. A lot happens when we doze off even for just a few minutes. So I would assume, I would assume that to be true. And um, yeah, it's not about how long you sleep. It's just enough. It's just enough. Just a few minutes. Um, so typically how I tell people to do it, because some people say, I can never nap. And I tell them just rest. How about you lay down in the middle of the day if you have that luxury or if you can make it happen? Put a timer for like 40 minutes, you know, even with people that want to nap for 20 minutes, it might not. Sometimes um, it takes a while to just wind down and feel your body and breathe again in the middle of the day because we just tend to go, go, go. So I tell them, put an alarm clock for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes max, and just get under your blankets. You can listen to a meditation. I usually, when I take a nap, I actually put a mask on, like a sleep mask with dark, and just, just enjoy that. And it's okay if you don't fall asleep. The act of laying down does a lot for the body. So this kind of sounds like siesta, Right. Totally siesta. We're we're made for that. We have a natural drop in body core temperature in the afternoon. We have a bigger at night, and that's what makes us feel groggy. And also we have a little bit of melatonin produced in the afternoon, just a tiny bit. So really we're made physiologically to take siestas, but we don't really listen to this. So people when they get sleepy after lunch, they think, well, I had a big meal. And that may be true, or maybe they have gluten sensitivity, they don't even know, and the gluten can make you sleepy. But it's also a natural process that we, we should, and if we could, and if we made a time for it, and if I know in some situation, it's like nearly impossible. But um, so yeah, we're meant to take naps. Or okay, siesta. since we're all like self-quarantined at home, let's bring back the siesta. Let's do, do it. Let's create a habit. I have been doing it. That's oh. one thing that I've been doing almost every day around one o'clock. Oh my gosh, we got to get off soon so you can hit the couch. <laughs> That's okay. I can make it at two o'clock. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so you also were talking about, you know, some different things that might, you know, be problematic or, or act towards uh, making it so that we don't get great night's sleep. Um, you mentioned gluten sensitivity. Do you have like personal experience with that? I do, yeah, and and that's a 
I moved to Boulder 2011 and, and it's so funny because I moved from Tennessee and it's a little bit of a different world and you move here and I thought I just sort of rolled my eyes in my head kind of a thing like oh my gosh these people in Boulder they're so they do everything they're dairy free gluten free vegan this and that and so a few months in though um, I thought maybe Maybe there is something to this gluten thing. I don't think I'm sensitive or anything. I'm not even going to do a test. I'm just going to go off of it for a month. And then when I got back on it, I within minutes, I started feeling anxious. I got a headache. I started yawning. I started feeling sleepy. And I could not believe it because I've struggled so much in law school and acupuncture school every time i took a book and tried to read i would fall asleep it was like torture trying to study and somehow i still did it um and acupuncture school so wait not- i've had this before too where i will pick up a book and within two pages my eyes are closing i thought it was like my eyelids yeah <laughs> <That's very funny. laughs> like i have some kind of genetic eyelid closing thing i don't know but um but maybe it's the gluten I don't know. Everyone is different. You know, I mean, uh, it could be your vision. It could be that you're sleep deprived. It could be a food sensitivity like gluten, you know, gluten sensitivity uh, in some people, it can cross the blood brain barrier and acts as, a, as morphine. The last time I tried to have gluten to, to just try it again as a last attempt, I had to go to sleep. I just, it was the middle of the day and I knew that that might happen. So I just went to sleep and I woke up after a much longer than I would usually take a nap and like two hours, which is way longer than I usually take a nap. And so it, it just depends on each person. It could be a number of things, but definitely gluten can make people tired. Um, I know we had a previous discussion and you talked about how there's uh, the neurotransmitters that are, you know, telling your gut or maybe you can talk a little bit about that and how gluten plays with those. Well, the gut, the gut health is very, very, very important. It's one of the main things that I see in my clinic and treat with acupuncture and herbs and supplements and lifestyle changes because in the gut is where most of the neurotransmitters are produ- produced, like serotonin. I don't remember the exact um, percentage, but I think anywhere from 70 to 90% of the serotonin is produced in the gut. So if the gut is inflamed and affected from gluten sensitivity, from overgrowth of bacteria from for whatever reason from unhealthy diet then it will affect the neurotransmitter production that will affect your sleep and your mood and let's just say you might even have some genetic variant that kind of plays into that those are the people that develop serious insomnia you know because you you see people don't eat healthy they abuse their diet and they still sleep just fine so there are a lot of different factors and layers on why some people develop insomnia and others not Wow. Okay. So what about emotional issues? You know, like talk about what we're going through right now, fear, anxiety, uncertainty about the future. How does that play into your sleep? Well, it's it's stress. So actually if I, stress affects, um, affects everything. And when I mean stress, what I mean by stress, I mean emotional stress, uh, food sensitivities, a stress in the body, uh, low hormones are a stress in the body because the body doesn't have the 
substances to, to create a smooth kind of functioning in the body, right? So it's different kinds of stress. But emotional stress is very, very important. I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm writing a book. And so one of the main parts of the book that I was inspired to write about is the different types of insomnia. Because when you were being told if you have, you have, um, you can't fall asleep or you can't stay asleep. That's the basic two types of insomnia. And that doesn't say anything, right? It is just so simplistic. It doesn't say anything from what I've seen over the years, what I've learned. There are many different types of insomnia. Even people that have trouble falling asleep in the evening can show up differently. And so within that, within that, each of that category, there are different layers on how stress affects it. So it's like the people that have a lot of anxiety, but then there are the people that don't necessarily have anxiety, but they have overthinking. And then there are people that kind of have both, but really they're just wired and they don't have the other side. So it's, it's, it's complex, but stress plays a really big role. And so I assume right now some people sleep a lot and some people can't sleep at all. Like for me in general, except last year, when I'm stressed, I just, I go to sleep. It was such a blessing, right? Because we can recover and other people, they're just completely wired and then they can't sleep because the stress um, gets to them. It's just too much. Or some people go to sleep just fine, but they wake up too early in the morning. So it shows up in differently in different people. And yes, I believe right now, um, people are experiencing different kinds of things. So I think I hear from people, um, you know, because they don't have a job right now, maybe they don't have kids, their schedules are really off. You know, they go to sleep at 2 a.m. It's not healthy, but hey, if, if that's what gets them to sleep, just do whatever you can kind of a thing, but it's not the ideal situation. Uh, and such, and other people are able to make the best of it. Like, thankfully, right now, even though I'm stressed, that's not getting to me that way. So I just, I'm sleeping in, I don't use an alarm clock and I've been encouraging people to do that, to take advantage of this unique situation to just don't use an alarm clock. And hopefully you're not going to sleep in for hours. That's not ideal. But for me, it's like I'm noticing I'm sleeping an hour longer uh, in the morning, but I'm still sleeping about the same amount of hours. But my body says, okay, seven o'clock, it's better than six o'clock. Right give you a little flexibility. It's funny, I got rid of my bedside clock because I had one from high school that I was still using and it just kind of died. It was one of those alarm clock radios, right? right. <laughs> With the actual like, you know, turn knob. But anyway, I, I don't use a clock at all because one of the things I also found is that trying to fall asleep can actually be stressful. So it can add to your stress because you're laying there going, I can't fall asleep and now I'm going to be tired. Now I'm going to feel sick. And so I finally just said, well, if I don't know what time it is and I don't know how much sleep I'm getting or not getting, then that takes off a little, that takes some pressure off for me. And if no matter what, I'm still laying here, my body's relaxing. So I don't know, is that valid at all? Would you ever recommend that for people? There's so much to talk about that. But in general, yes, I talk to people about not watching the clock because that, that is very stressful. I mean, I've had patients who have the clock. I don't know if yours had the lights, the bright lights on. And I'm like, whoa, that's, you know, most people have a phone that they flip over and they can take a look what time it is. That takes a little extra effort. But when people open their eyes and they can see it right there in front of their eyes, I feel like that's a recipe for a disaster kind of a thing. But it's a really complicated thing, really. Um, so definitely clock watching when you're trying to fall asleep is not a good idea. 
um, and the winding down process, it's very, very important. And it can look a little different for everyone. There is so much to talk about that. In fact, um, the offer that I have for um, your listeners right now, um, if you go to damianacorca.com slash the hour before sleep, and we'll, we'll, I'll give you the link so you can post it on the show notes too, if that's okay. Um, it's, I talk a lot about this. Um, it's a rather, I mean, not very lengthy, but lengthier than a usual blog or anything that talks about this process of winding down and all the troubleshooting, all the possibilities that could happen within each and every person, you know, kind of like, well, I got to get up in the morning, so I got to go to sleep or I feel sleepy at 8 PM. And then I feel wired at 10 PM or it's just all these different scenarios that happen within people's minds. And sometimes we don't make the best choices in the evening and we don't know what the best choice is. So since I've worked with a lot of people, I've learned from them really through experience, what works, what doesn't and such. So that's in that, um, that will cover a lot of that. So hopefully will help people. Oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. So we'll definitely have a link to it. Um, DamianaCorca.com and it'll be a backslash the hour before sleep. Yes you are going to get a big gift and all they have to do is like enter their email, right? Because you do offer other like really cool online ways that people can work with you, right? Right. So the majority of my practice right now is here in Boulder, Colorado, and I do a combination of acupuncture and Chinese herbs and um, health coaching that I've learned through functional medicine and such. And then I also work with uh, people's other providers and, and do tests and recommend tests when needed, either neurotransmitters or hormones or whatever it's needed where I see the problem maybe and why their insomnia has been so stubborn. And in some cases, just acupuncture by itself does miracles really. From 2003 to 2006, I think, I only used acupuncture for three years of my practice. I did not use herbs, maybe, you know, 95% of my patients. I remember I have to pay the sales taxes every three months and some months I didn't have to pay any sales taxes because I haven't sold any herbs. I, I don't, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I just wanted to see what does acupuncture by itself do. So I saw that it's amazing and it works for a lot of people. And I also saw, again, some people need more than that. So then I kind of made a, full loop around that. So right now I do all of that. And then with people that are not local, I'm able to help them with that health coaching piece. And and then all the experience that I've built over the years around, you know, I, I don't like to call it sleep hygiene because it's so simplistic and everyone has a tip for that, but I've learned how to use that to help the person in, in such an amazing ways. Little tweaks and little changes can make a huge difference for people. Oh, for sure. You're kind of like, I don't know, the sleep medium, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because what I'm hearing is that really the, the first thing is you have to, we have symptoms, right? When something's not going right, you're going to have symptoms. So you have to figure out what's at the core of your symptom. And if your symptom is I'm not sleeping well, well, let's figure out why. And so we've talked about how it can be your digestion, it can be anxiety, it can be the stress. Um, You mentioned really early in the conversation can be hormones, hormone changes. What about like menopause timing? That's kind of interesting to me right now. That is, um, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen to you and you'll be all right because not everyone has this. But I would say in general, that's the, if I had to pick one category that that was a higher percentage in my practice, it would be perimenopausal 
menopausal woman. So around that, there is a lot of changes that happen. Um, one of the main things that happen is that as we go through that transition, and again, everyone is different and not everyone develops insomnia during this period. But what, what does happen though, the amount of the hormones that um, produced from the ovaries, obviously it's diminished greatly. But what still produces some hormones is the adrenal glands, about 10% of what the ovaries produce. And so what happens with that, if we've been stressed for years and years and years, and there is a hormone that kind of shows how the adrenals are doing the DHEA that eventually leads into the other hormones and such when it breaks down, it, it can show us if it's low. And if that's low and then the ovaries kind of as a natural progression are producing less, then we're in a little bit of a trouble. The body has trouble adjusting the body temperature. There is dryness, there is insomnia and all of that. So um, ideally I would, love if people knew about this before all of this happened this is a huge part of the book that i'm writing in the hormone section is how do you prepare in your 30s and early 40s or whatever it's before perimenopause what's before menopause perimenopause for each person depending on when you start going through this but how can you build towards that so that doesn't happen to you can i cram it in is it like school you know i'm 48 can i like do it all now and prepare that you can do anything, even right now. I think there is so much more you can do, definitely. Thank it, you. I thought you were going to say no. No, no, no. You can do it because what happens, it seems like you're in a fairly good place still. Nothing is really happening unless your daughter keeps you up. But other than that, yes, you can build your body right now. Um, it's an ongoing process, but you can start at any time. Um, and I always tell people, if you catch it before it goes over the board, it's so much better. But even if it's afterwards, what can you do? You, you deal with whatever comes at you and take care of it right there and then. So do you have any like, you know, general universal tips for doing that? For doing that in advance or right now or just yes. anything? <laughs> yes, simple. <laughs> anything. Um, well, I think one of the best ways is to just notice what your body is doing, the changes that are going through. So one of the main things that I teach women, if, if they hear me even through their 20s and 30s, um, for two reasons, to use the uh, basal body temperature, to take it every morning. So that's really healthy to do when you're trying to have a baby because it shows you the spikes in temperature and if your hormones are working properly and it's such a cheap way to do it you know i'm not saying that's a replacement for testing your hormones i'm just saying when you have enough months and enough history it can tell you a lot of information it can tell you if the first part is too long is too short if the second part is too short it possibly points towards a progesterone deficiency so you're more likely to have a miscarriage so then you could talk to your doctor like hey i think my I'm ovulating, but something is off here. So anyways, as you approach perimenopause, you start skipping ovulate. You stop skipping ovulation. And that, that would be a clue to you like, hey, maybe I need a little extra support right now um, because I see it's coming before I experience any hot flashes, before I skip any cycles, you know? So that's one way that's never too late to do. Um, because it's such a simple, cheap way, you know, $20, $30 on Amazon to buy the thermometer. You just pop it in your mouth in the morning. It connects to an app on your phone. That's it. You don't have to do anything. And you're never going to have a surprise period because the moment your period, a few hours before your period comes, the temperature drops. And then, you know, like, okay, I'm about to menstruate. So that's a very simple 
tip that it, it takes it long term, but it gives you information. And then there are herbs. Really quick on that. I think yes. there, it's also so empowering to just know our bodies inside and out. We know our bodies outside pretty well. Most of us do. But that's, that's power. It is so, it's so powerful. I mean, I was talking to a nurse practitioner here in town who does uh, functional medicine and she said, I wish my, we're talking about this. And I said, I wish all the teenagers would know how to do this because that would be power. And also to understand like, Hey, if I have some mood swings or it's, I'm way before that cycle, like partially it's partially is normal. Or if I feel tired during my cycle, it's okay. Or, Hey, doing ovulation is is the time when i feel most powerful it makes sense why or i shouldn't push myself the week before my cycle and it run as hard as i usually do because i'm two days before my cycle i need to give myself a break and likely i'll be okay and then when i menstruate like take your time it's your time to take it easy and such so yeah this is um pretty passionate about this because yeah there's so much information from it well in you were about to mention some herbs we could be taking. Yeah, so um, of course, also always working with someone that can tell you exactly which herbs, but just top of the mind, herbs that can be helpful is maca and vitex. Maca is more estrogenic in general. Vitex, it supports a little bit more of the progesterone side. So cool. it, both of them, in general, you want to work with a practitioner, especially maca, it actually can have side effects and sometimes actually... For some people, um, it can produce a little bit of insomnia. It's more rare, but that's what I'm saying. You have to understand how to take that and, and when and how much of each other, and of each of the herbs and which part of your cycle, like the Vitex, just like the progesterone, some people take it two weeks out of the month, the second two weeks. Got it. Okay, cool. Okay, so let's say we have figured out what our problems are. Now we need to create a sleep environment that's conducive to good sleep. So maybe you can talk a little bit about, again, I understand everybody's different. You know, you've made that, like, that's very clear here, but are there any standards that people may want to think about when setting up their sleep environment? Definitely. I can give you just a little, some of them are just really common sense. Like, especially if you're going to perimenopause, menopause, like, hey, have cotton sheets, not anything um, like polyester fiber because you will sweat more, just simple things like that. And then also just um, preparing your bed and your bedroom and make sure it's free of clutter. Uh, Hopefully most of us already do that, but if not, it's really important. I, I just can't imagine sleeping in a bedroom where it's a lot of, stuff on the nightstand and such just just clearing that space is like almost like giving space for your sleep um in a sense so that's pretty important and also making sure that air is clean in your bedroom so you know open up your window window but some people have allergies so that's tricky so i like having an air purifier kind of going at all times Um, there are different brands out there right now in my house i'm using air doctor um, the, and it's pretty amazing. I could notice a change in the air quality and such. So that's pretty important. Um, and then the clock business that we just mentioned earlier, you know, um, not, if you do have a clock with the lights and everything, just cover it. But ideally for EMF protection and such, some people say do not have anything plugged 
and on next to your bed because it intensifies that field. We don't know. We don't, we, you know, some people say that matters a lot. Some people say we don't know if it matters, but it's not natural. Just think about being in nature with the kind of the magnetic the electric field of the earth. Having something plugged in next to your head, like an alarm clock, it, it's going to intensify it. So I, if that's not natural, it might not be good. Let's just eliminate that. You can have the ones that have a battery. If you do have your cell phone and if next to your head there, make sure you don't charge it next to your head and also make sure it's on airplane mode. If you feel tempted to pick it up at night and such, then put it away and just use an alarm clock. I talk a little bit about in that handout that I'm giving to everyone about this yeah. as well. So, so we'll see, let's see what else. Um, How about... What about mattresses? What do you recommend for a mattress? And like, if you sleep with somebody, you know, do you need more? Sp- there's this whole movement going on about people, couples sleeping in separate beds. And there's this emotional, you know, kind of argument about why or why not, but also the physical side. So what do you think about like a mattress and then that idea of sleeping with somebody? Yeah. So the mattress, I, um, it's a, difficult field to research and see exactly but in general to make sure that they're not toxic especially if you just bought a new uh, uh, mattress or if you're thinking to buy one to just ask questions Um, they will tell you which mattresses will emit less fumes and such because that 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 could be a big problem we didn't talk much about it about this in in the podcast here but one of the main problems it's um kind of toxic overload um, like heavy metals and, and all kinds of things, not only heavy metals, but that can cause insomnia. And again, one of the chapters in my book, I'll talk about that and such. But um, so watch for that. If you already have a mattress, you've had it for a while, um, unless you want to buy a new one, don't worry about it so much. Right now, probably whatever came out, it came out at this moment. Just like buying a new car, there is just so much that we smell in that car that can be toxic. Um, so you have to watch for that. And again, they're healthier choices nowadays. As far as sleeping in separate beds, I actually do advise people to do this sometimes depending on the situation. And I do understand that many people feel like that, you know, we put this other layer on it. What does it mean if we sleep in different bedrooms? Um, because you know, we, we, we've all, we have this picture of like elder parents or something that sleep in different bedrooms or people that fight that sleep in different bedrooms. But if you have a discussion about, let's say, like, for example, I'm very restless. So when I moved in with my partner, we decided we're going to have separate bedrooms and come in together whenever we want. And we've been doing this for years and it works really well for us. Yes, sometimes I wish I wasn't, I move a lot in my sleep for whatever reason. So I wake him up. And then he can go back to sleep because he's wide awake because I woke him up. And sometimes I even talk in my sleep. But and this is one type of situation. But there are the situations when people um, snore, the partner snores, or they have a CPAP machine that's really noisy. Or you have insomnia right now and you're so sensitive. Every single movement irritates you and, and such. So that is a good time to be in a different bedroom. Um, it could be temporarily. And for some people, it could be exciting. It brings some newness in the relationship because now suddenly you come together whenever you want. And so that's pretty pretty valuable and such. The other thing that people can do, they can do what people do in Europe. You know, most of the, they, 
because a lot this, the spaces are smaller sometimes siblings have to sleep in the same bed we don't have as many bedrooms there and such so we have uh, two sets of sheets and two sets of comforters so here if you have a king bed you would have a two twin uh, sets of like sheets and such. So then you're in the same bed, but there is something about that separation that helps with the pulling of the sheets, with the movement of the bed um, and such. And also you feel like you have your own space in a sense. That has helped some people and made that separation a little, uh, made, that, made it work for them instead of having to sleep in different beds. You know, while we're on this topic, what about like sex right before you go to sleep? Well, Do you... Can- <laughs> Do you recommend it? <laughs> it depends because some people love it. It's like so relaxing. And some people tell me I'm so wide awake afterwards. It's like, forget it. So it, it just depends on the situation. So I can't, it just depends on the person. You just kind of have to try it. Um, that is so funny because I tend to think Tim's ready to go right to sleep and I'm the one who's wound up after. So. Right. I don't know if that's common, like a, a, you know, female male thing, but I think it is a little more common what you just said right now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So we've been going for a long time. What about like, I'm going to wind us down here soon. Okay. Wind down. We're not going to fall asleep, but what could you give people any kind of, I don't know, shortcuts, say they wake up in the middle of their night, their head's spinning. Do you have any just tips without knowing their issues, anything that you could just recommend for anyone to help them go back to bed? Definitely. So you mentioned the waking up in the middle of the night with the head spinning. That's actually very common around 1, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Earlier, something else happens for people later. It's a little bit of a different story. But 1, 2, 3, 1, 12, 1, 2, 3 a.m., it's the common thing. Wake up, wide awake especially even for perimenopausal and menopausal women. And then um, you're overthinking and you're thinking either about things that you're worried about or for some people it just kind of spins out of control. It's a, it could be a song that you've listened from your daughter the next, the previous day, or it could be just random things, but the mind gets on a wheel and you can't get out of that. Um, so right there and then if that happens, um, I guess the best thing to do, it's either to listen to something, to just keep your mind occupied. I don't typically tell people to listen to anything in the middle of the night, but if, if it just happens and you haven't prepared anything else, then that's the best thing. I like listening to something, even if it's just a podcast, better than reading for some most people, because if you, let's say you have a bad partner, so you don't want to bother them, you take a year bad, you put it in, the podcast, you can put a timer, so it stops after 45 minutes or whatever time you choose to, and then you can put it just loud enough so it keeps you engaged, but just not too loud to get you too entertained and too up and going. Hopefully within that period, while your mind is occupied with that and not worrying, you'll fall back asleep. And then the earbud will just fall out of your ear. So that's kind of a temporary solution that you can do. If that doesn't work and you have a lot of thoughts, just get up and write them down. But the best thing that you do if this happens all the time is to do it the previous day. And in that handout that I'm giving you, it's in there because this can happen to people who try to fall asleep. They overthink and think about various things. I cover this in detail, when to start and how to do it. Um, It's kind of like journaling, but it doesn't have to be journaling. Like when I opened my center a few years ago, I had so many thoughts. It would be like endless. I got to do this and I got to do that. And I wonder what I'm going to do about this and about that. So when I got home at 6 p.m., I had a pad with me. And while I was making dinner, 
I just started writing down every single thought that I have. It didn't matter if it was a worry or a task or something that was on my mind. I just wrote it down until I emptied my mind. And then if I woke up in the middle of the night, I just acknowledged that I have that thought and I, I would tell myself, it's on that piece of paper. There is nothing I can do about it right now. I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. And that sometimes helps. So sometimes it's not enough, but it, is, it can be quite helpful. It's really cool how the mental and physical really come together here. It's just Definitely, amazing. Because when you have that stressful thoughts, instantly there is a little bit of adrenaline and adrenaline rush going through your body and then you're wide awake and then you're anxious because you're wide awake and then forget sleep. So it's, it's just instant. It's, it's connected. Yes, for sure. Okay. Let's do one last little topic. Let's speak to the athletes out here. So I've read that doing regular exercise can help us get a better night's sleep. Is that true? That is very true. And what the research says is that moderate exercise is what helps people sleep better. So if you do intense exercise for whatever reason, it's a tricky thing. You can still do that. It just really depends on the person. So for some people, it's better to do that earlier in the day because we, we do have a lot of, it's not bad, but there are a lot of stress hormones going through our body. So we're very activated. So depending on your physical type, like even from the Ayurvedic medicine, which I'm not so knowledgeable in that area, but certain types will get really wired up or like in Chinese medicine, the fire type, you know, like if they exercise at 5, 6 p.m., they're up until 1, 2 a.m. Um, they can't fall asleep. So it's important to know yourself. And if that happens, make sure you do your exercise earlier in the morning. If you have developed insomnia and you notice the more you exercise, the, the, more, the, insom uh, the worse the insomnia is, that does happen to people, unfortunately. So I know it's hard for some people to hear this, but you got to slow down. Um, I've had to stop a few athletes from doing their thing for a little while to recover because once you develop this, you just sort of deplete it. The more you push it, the harder it is to sleep. And I don't know if you've experienced this with your daughter, but this is a good example that people um, recommend. The more that I don't need to touch my face, if I feel like I need to touch my face, it's so funny. But just um, so hyper aware of touching my face. Uh, anyways, we all are right now. You're not. I alone. know. It's like, don't touch your face. Oh, I have a niche. I have to touch my face. <laughs> don't cough, or everybody's going to look at you. And I know. You know. But I'm all alone here, so it's all good. Okay. I've washed my hands. But what I was going to say, I don't know if this happens to your daughter, but have you ever had when when she was younger and she was napping still, and then and then she skipped her nap for whatever reason, and then the evening comes, and then she's really tired and cranky. And you know it's because she's so overtired. Mm -hmm. And you know if she could just go to sleep, but she can't. She's so hyper. that, And then she finally collapses because she's a child and she's healthy and thank God. But that doesn't happen to adults sometimes. We, evening comes, you're so utterly exhausted. You just ran 15 miles or however long you ran. And then you realize you're not falling asleep. And you're just so exhausted. So those people are really good candidates for the right type of napping and just slowing down for just a little bit for the body to recover. And then you can go back to your, to your thing. Oh, that's a good point. All right. Well, one last thing on that note. So the night before a race, we all suck at sleep. I don't know. I'm generalizing for athletes, but I'm pretty sure... Most of my friends and people I know, we really struggle to sleep the night before a race. And part of that is then we think, oh my gosh, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not going to perform well. But then you can't sleep. 
And then you do the race and then you're super exhausted the next night, but you can't sleep that night either. <laughs> but we already just covered that. So what do you tell people about the night before a race? Like it's a, you know, what if they just can't sleep? Is, is it going to hurt their performance the next day? Um, and any tips you have for people on the night before? Yeah, so it's a it's a tricky thing. Some people will have more trouble than others. It seems like everyone will have a little like build up angst. It's just exciting, even if it's not anxiety per se. It's exciting to do that. So you want so badly to sleep, like kind of like when you go on an early flight, um, five a.m. flight, and you, it's a great thing. You're going to Florida or Mexico, wherever you're going. You're so excited to be going on vacation, and yet it's like too much. Um, so. So some people will be more sensitive than others. Um, you know, certainly knowing your body and, and figuring out what kind of supplements will be helpful for that uh, can be helpful. And also just not putting any pressure. That's very, very important. Kind of going to bed with the mindset of like, it is what it is. It's going to be what's going to be. I might not sleep as well as I could. And it's okay. It is what it is. Is it going to hurt your performance? Maybe. But if you worry more about it and you're, longer asleep that's not going to help either so you do your best you learn how your body does and then if you have a lot of trouble falling asleep you do the race and then you have trouble of falling asleep again because you're so wired then it's a sign that you need a little extra help from someone like me or another healthcare provider that's all there is to it you are so amazing all right i think we'll let people wind down and take their siesta now this will be great. Um, definitely going to have a link in the show notes to the handout that you are giving people for free the hour before sleep. And we're going to be anxiously awaiting your book. So it yes. sounds like it's still in work. So we've got a little while there, right? Well, it, it's a funny thing with that book because I started... Um I started thinking seriously about it in September of last or August of last year. And I even hired a couple of book coaches and I thought I'm going to get it going. And then there's just no time. It's just, it's, you think about it, but it's no, not enough time. And it takes time to like, just sit down and get it going. So when this came around, this virus, after the first few days of sort of freaking out what is happening to the world, I thought, Hey, I think I'm going to have a few weeks off basically or a lot of time off, if not full time. And I started a book, so a I, I wrote a third of it. Of course, it's just a draft of a, the first third, but it's amazing. A third of it is 25,000 words, approximately. A third of it, I'm really excited. So a few months or a year, I don't know. It just depends where it's going from here and how long I'll have to stay home. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I cannot wait to read it. So this is going to be great. So we'll promote that too when it's out. So let's leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way. What would yours be? Okay. What would that be? Um, let's see. I remember listening to one of your, a few of your podcasts and thinking, I got to think about that question before I came in and I totally forgot. So, so let's keep it around sleep, I suppose. Um, and it goes back to what I said just a few minutes ago, ago about um, letting go and not putting pressure ourselves um, when we can't sleep in the middle of the night. And the second thing that I would like to say, especially to the people that have been struggling with insomnia for a while, that maybe have been trying really hard to try to figure out what is up with them, to be 
compassionate towards them and know that there is a solution out there. They just might not know about it. But what, what does happen to people is they take it personally. They feel like there must be something wrong with me. There must be something I'm doing wrong or there is something broken with my body. And, and there is no such a thing. We are really at the core. We're perfect. It's just life lessons laid on. Um, and there is always a solution for all of this. So well, thank you so much. It's so beautiful. You are such a gift. You are a, a healer, a guide. You're a problem solver. And we're just so lucky to have you in our fold. So thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your amazing insights with us. We are all going to sleep better tonight for it. Yes. Thank you so much. And I also wanted to say lastly that I do offer a free consult by phone or Zoom or in person, whoever is interested. I always like to talk to people and see I can help them. If I can't help them, I'll guide them to wherever they can get help and such. So I'm always happy to do that. And thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed this. Well, get ready. Everybody's going to look you up now. All right. Awesome. Well, here's to a better night's sleep for all. Thank you. All right, everyone. I am back. What a great conversation. I'm sure you pulled at least one thing out of this beautiful discussion about sleep and probably more like 10 things. You probably need to get your notebook out and re-listen to it. Don't forget, head over to damianacorka.com backslash the hour before sleep. That's D-A-M-I-A-N-A-C-O-R-C-A. Damianacorka.com backslash the hour before sleep. Uh, sign up, get that free ebook. It will help you in some way. Again, we'll take anything we can get right now. Hey, I also want to let you know, I'm experimenting a little during this time that we are stuck at home um, and recording my virtual interviews on, on uh, Zoom. And then I'm putting them on YouTube. So you can actually watch an interview. You can put YouTube on, play it in the background. Um, but if you want to see the guest speak you know, live and almost in person, head over to YouTube to my channel, Nicole DeBoom. I'll have a link in the show notes to the YouTube uh, video of this conversation. The funny thing is that when uh, screw ups happen, which we actually had a glitch in the middle where my internet went bad, I will edit that out of this version because you didn't hear it. But on YouTube, you're going to see me going, hey, hello, I can't hear you. <laughs> yep, that's real life, people. Um, and don't forget that one thing we did hit on is that exercise helps your sleep. You all probably know this, but I'm just going to drive it home. Exercising helps your sleep. So if you want some girlfriend style workouts that combine strength and sculpting and core, and you never quite know how many reps I'm going to throw out at you because I constantly lose count go over to the Facebook group, Skirt Sports Women Who Move. Uh, request to join it. You will be immediately entered into the group and you can do any of the probably 10 or so workouts that are posted at this point. They're called Women Who Move On Demand Workouts. Uh, just another fun way, fun free option for you to engage in fitness and do some things that you otherwise would not do. And don't worry, I hold you accountable. All right, everybody. 
That is it for today. Thank you so much for all of your support. Um, This is a tough time for all of us. So hopefully this podcast is bringing you a little bit of joy, some smiles and some, you know, much needed nuggets to help you run your world in a bigger and better way. All right, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.